Morning, Journey. Well, we're at the end, uh, finally, of our sermon series through the book of Philippians. And before we dive into the text this morning, I want to start with a little bit of a quiz, just a one-question kind of riddle this morning. So if you're ready, we're going to go ahead and, and jump into this. The question that we're seeking to answer in this riddle this morning is, which of these two people is more content in their life? Uh, which person has more contentment in their day-to-day life? Is it the person, the man who has a million dollars? Or the man with eight children. All right. So if you think the man with a million dollars has more contentment in his day-to-day life, raise your hand. You guys are all crazy. Um, all right. First service was the same way. So if you think that's the man with eight children, raise your hand. All right. A lot of you who don't have eight kids. Um, but, but that's true. That's the right answer. But do you know why? The man with eight children has more contentment because he's the one with something that he wants no more of, (laughs) right? (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this idea of contentment. Paul finishes, excuse me, his letter to the Philippian church, and really he kind of wrapped everything up in the part we talked about last week, the first half of chapter 4 as he recounts all the things that he's been teaching throughout the book of Philippians. But in this section, there's really three verses that focus on this idea of contentment. Let me read them this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. Verses 11 through 13, Paul writes, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's one of the most quoted verses, not just in Philippians, but really in all of Scripture. In fact, I would say verse 13 outside of John 3.16 is probably the most quoted Scripture in all of the Bible. It's the verse that we have written on our walls. We have wall hangings in our homes. Uh, We put them as our screensaver on our computer. If you're a professional athlete, I think it's required that you have Philippians 4.13 tattooed somewhere on your body, right? I think that's what happens. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's one of the most used and quoted verses in all of Scripture, but it's also a verse that often gets stretched beyond its intention. Uh, Context in this passage means a whole lot. And in fact, the translation is a little bit tough. That, that words that are used for all things, it, it really would be better translated from the Greek if it said all these things. And, and Paul tells us this verse. And so before we jump in, I want to focus on verse 13 really quick and just get a couple things kind of out of the way before we dig into this idea of contentment that Paul's talking about. In this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It does not mean that you and I can leave, and just as long as we believe enough, we can do some supernatural, out-of-this-world physical feat. Like, I can't just walk out the door and go, you know what, if I believe, I can jump across the ocean. (laughs) Or I can't just leave and go, you know, if I flap my arms really hard, I can fly to the moon. Or I can't leave and go, you know what, if I just believe this week, I'll lose 50 pounds. I'll do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's never happened in my life, if you hadn't noticed. All right? It doesn't mean that, but it does mean this. It does mean that you and I can do all things that are within the will of God through Christ who strengthens us. 
It does mean that you and I can do all the things God calls us to do, all the things that are defined and commanded in his word through Christ who strengthens us. It does mean that Jesus' strength can and does get us through difficulties. It's Jesus' strength that is greater than the difficulty we face in our life. It does mean that there is no trial too hard, no obstacle too big, no temptation too strong, no opposition too powerful that we cannot overcome because of Jesus' strength that lives in us. And what Paul is saying is all the things that he's talked about in this letter, all the things that you and I have been digging into the last eight weeks together of what it means to live for Jesus, all those things can be accomplished through Christ who strengthens us. I can do all these things. The contentment that Paul talks about in this passage, he can do that because of Jesus. All things, all the things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't shrink that verse at all for me. Because the reality is I'm not leaving church this morning real worried if I can flap my arms and fly to the moon. (laughs) I'm not leaving church really focused on losing 50 pounds. Just throwing that out there. But as I've read through the letter to the Philippians, I am leaving skeptical that I can accomplish what Paul says it means to live for Jesus. The, the tasks that Paul has given us in this letter are daunting, right? Like Paul says, rejoice no matter what happens in your life. That seems beyond my ability. <laughs> Paul says, have hope when everything seems hopeless. That's beyond my ability. Paul says, <clears throat> forget all the things that you've done. Forget what lies behind you. And strive towards Jesus and what's ahead. That's beyond my capability. Paul says in this text this morning, be content no matter what happens. That's beyond my ability. I cannot do that unless it is Jesus who does it in me. And so it asks this question as we wrap this up this morning, how do we find that kind of mindset? How do you get the contentment that Paul talks about? That's really what we've been looking at through this whole letter. We've talked over and over again how Paul's mind is so set on Jesus that he rejoices in the midst of things that are sorrowful. Paul's mind is so set on Jesus that he forgets what he's failed at and he presses towards what's ahead. Paul's mind is so set on Jesus that he thinks about things that are not of this world, that he realizes this world is not his home. He has contentment in the midst of chaos. So how do you get that? How do we set our mind on Jesus so that we can live for Jesus because we already live in Jesus? Let me say that again this morning because that was a lot of Jesus, right? How do you and I set our mind on Jesus so that we can live for Jesus because we already live in Jesus? And that is a, a lot of Jesus, this morning. But church, can I tell you, a lot of Jesus is probably what we need. And there's two things in this passage that I think Paul shows us contentment hinges on. And the first thing is this, is contentment is found together. It's found together. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And then verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. 
And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, not a single church, <clears throat> entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. And when Paul says this, it's no surprise to us this morning. If you've been here the last eight weeks, we've seen Paul over and over again when he talks about living for Jesus. It's always a community activity, right? It's always done in community. And now Paul says, if you want contentment, it is found together. We've seen this since the beginning of this letter. And, and I love this section of Scripture because I've thought for years, and a lot of scholars agree with me, I think Philippians is really a support letter. I think it's really Paul the missionary writing a support letter to update the church who partners with him in his missionary efforts. And now some of you don't know this, but I know a thing or two about support letters. <laughs> uh, I work, I don't work at Journey, I work for a group called Christian Student Fellowship, and I really have two facets of my job as director. One is to kind of cast vision and help our ministry strategically plan how to reach their campus with the gospel, but a big chunk of my job is raising money to help fund the work that God has called us to do. And Paul writes this letter just like I would write a support letter. He starts by telling the church um, how much he appreciates them, how thankful he is for them, how he thinks about them regularly. The bulk of his letter is recounting what God is doing in his life and in his ministry right now. And it's also encouraging those who support him how they can live closer to Jesus. And now he ends by literally saying, thank you for partnering with me financially. This is probably the one instance this morning <laughs> where I feel like I might be the best person to speak into what Paul's talking about. <clears throat> Let me explain about this idea of contentment together. Uh, when I decided to go work for CSF uh, about six, over six years ago, I left staff at Journey. I really didn't know what God wanted us to do. I just knew that God was moving me into something else and just... For the record, I have turned down countless jobs in my life because I didn't want to raise money. I turned down CSF two or three other times in my life because I didn't want to raise money. I've turned down FCA. I've turned down every parachurch organization you can think of because I don't want to raise money. And now God says, hey, most of your life is going to be spent raising money because God has a sense of humor or he hates me. Um, I've, ten I've, I've chosen to live in the first one. All right. But when I started at CSF, that was, it brought this huge discontent to my life. I didn't know if it would work when I went to work for them, uh, what they were asking me to do. I didn't know if it would provide for my family. I didn't know if it would be what God wanted. I just knew it was the door he opened. And, and the most critical thing for me was I didn't know how I was going to ask people to support what we do. And now there's thousands, literally, of people who support CSF and its work. There's hundreds of people who support me and what I do at CSF. Many of you are in this room. But when I started, there were four couples that I knew I needed to talk to. Uh, one was a couple that had poured into me and my family ever since we walked through the doors at Journey. And they had done college ministry long before I even knew it was a thing. And I knew I needed to talk to them. And there were three couples who were alumni of ours that I knew they were really catalytic. They were really essential when college ministry just blew up here. And so I wanted to reach out to them. And so I went to one of their houses, the very first couple I talked to, and I drove to their house. They <clears throat> lived about an hour and a half from here, and we sat down, and uh, we talked, and I gave my spiel that I was trained how to give. It was 30 minutes long. It was terrible. And I got to the end, and you're supposed to ask for a specific amount of money. And so I said, oh, if you could do 
like $25 or $50 a month, that would be great. And I remember the husband looked at me and he says, are you done? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, maybe in more ways than you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, we decided a long time ago what we were going to give you. You've just been spending the last 30 minutes delaying us going to play golf. <laughs> great, this is going really well. <laughs> and he says, we'll give you 250 bucks a month. And the other three couples all did the same thing, like exceeded expectation. I tell you that story to tell you this. I did not find con contentment in their financial gift. Don't get me wrong, it was incredibly appreciated and they all still give sacrificially to this day. But I found great contentment in a group of people who said, we got you. Found contentment that I cannot describe in a group of people who said, hey, we know this is uncertain. It's uncertain for us. We've got your back. We'll go with you. And we'll ride this with you and we'll die in this with you. But you need to know we've got you. Journey, can I tell you that's what I want for our church? I want to be a place where when somebody feels discontent, when somebody feels like they don't know how this all shakes out, that we're the first people who come to them and say, hey, you know, however this shakes out, we've got you. I'm with you. I've got your back. I cannot describe to you how contentment comes into your life when you're in this together with someone. And we see that Paul has this relationship with this church. This is the church from the very beginning who said, hey, Paul, we got you. Good times, bad times, prison and free. We got you. But Paul goes on because Paul understands that you can never have that contentment unless it's found in Jesus. Paul reminds us that the only place <clears throat> that contentment is found is from believing that Jesus is enough. And, and Paul gets this. Paul understands that no matter where God takes you or how he gets you there, if Jesus is enough, you can be content. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. That's what's fascinating to me about this, because Paul's in prison in Rome. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. If you read his letter, he talks about it all the time. He, always, he, he says he longed to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He prayed for it. He planned for it. He spoke about it. But here's the deal. I'm willing to bet you that Paul never once planned on it being the way he would get there, being by going to prison. Paul had prayed and asked other people to pray for years for him to go to Rome. But I'll almost guarantee you, Paul never said, you know, and Jesus, if you could do it in the back of a paddy wagon, that'd be great. And yet Paul finds contentment in prison because Paul sees how Jesus has worked all these things out and that Jesus is enough. Stephen Lawson, the Bible commentator, says that Paul's, we have to remember that Paul's God is our God too. It's not a different God for Paul. And he says, so when we lack the contentment that Paul enjoys and exemplifies, it's not because we do not have what we need to enjoy it. When we have discontentment, he says, it's because our eyes are in the wrong place. When we have discontentment in our life, it's because our eyes are on our circumstances instead of our Savior. Let me say that again, because that's real smart. He says that when there's discontentment in my life and in your life, it's because our eyes are on our circumstances 
and not on our Savior. Because when our eyes are on Jesus and we see everything through the lens of Jesus, we can have contentment in life because we believe Jesus is enough in any and every circumstance. That word content is a Greek word, autarkes, I can't even pronounce it right, autarkes, autarkes, something like that. And what that word means, it was actually most often used for a country. It was used to describe a country when they had everything they needed and they didn't need to import anything from anywhere else. They had all the resources and natural products they would need to be self-sufficient. They were said to be autarkes, to be content. Now, Paul isn't saying that he himself is self-sufficient. But what Paul is saying is that because of Christ, all these things, I have everything I need in Jesus, and Jesus is sufficient for me. And I think one more time, <laughs> in these eight weeks, we need to remind it one more time. Paul's not writing this from great circumstances. Paul's in prison. He's chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week to a guard. He's on house arrest. He's alone. He's awaiting trial before Caesar, where more than likely, if he's convicted, he'll be sentenced to die. And yet Paul says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Paul says, I can do all these things through Jesus who strengthens me. Paul's living out what he said in Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, in Romans 8, Paul didn't say they work out for the good the way we think. He didn't even say they all work out for your good or mine. He said they work out for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. See, being discontent comes from thinking I need to be somewhere else than where the all-knowing sovereign hand of God has put me. Being discontent comes from thinking I need more than the all-knowing sovereign hand of God has given me. That's why Paul says, let me read this again in verses 11 through 13, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment in Jesus. Contentment in Christ is what makes us open to wherever God wants to send us, because we know that wherever we go, we have everything we need in Jesus. If we have Jesus, then no matter what we have, we have enough. Contentment is not found in the circumstances around us. It is found in the Savior who lives within us. And it really comes down to trust. But maybe you're here this morning, and <laughs> you're like me, and I... I hear that and go, you know, Paul, that's a really good message on Sunday morning. But Paul, do you know what my Monday looks like? Paul, that's a really easy thing to say, but do you know what goes on and pulls at my heart like we talked about last week? Paul, do you know how discontented my life is? Paul, I don't understand how you do. I believe what you say. I just ain't feeling what I heard. There's three words that Paul says that I never really noticed before. 
I, I read this passage and we always focus on the word strength. They're all things, right? Or content. Paul says three words that have helped me this week. Paul starts with these three words. He says, I have learned. I have learned. I have learned to be content. Now that might not mean a whole lot to you, but it means a whole lot to me because what that tells me is this contentment is not some supernatural gifting that Paul was just born with. Paul wasn't just wired to be content and I was wired to be differently. This is something that Paul says he has learned over a lifetime of experiences. And what that means is that I can learn it too. And so can you. But only with Jesus. We have to have Jesus to be content. That's why Jesus in John 15 said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of Jesus' most famous teachings and sayings is in Matthew 11. When we talk about being content, he says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. I'm not a huge fan of the message all the time, but I love sometimes he just does a great job of illustrating Scripture. And this is the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases what Jesus said in Matthew 11. He says, are you tired? Jesus said, are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus said, then come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. Jesus said, I'll show you how to take a real rest. He said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, I love this phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus said, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I hear that phrase. And honestly, it's like water from a spring. The unforced rhythms of grace that are only found in Jesus. I, I love last week when we spent some time in prayer together and I love that Dave talked about how our church has been in this season of change, and it would be really easy for us to be discontented, right? I mean, we, we come out or coming out of uh, this year or more of COVID and restrictions and things we can do and can't do and unrest in the world around us. And then our, our pastor of 27 years, 27 years leaves, and a pastor that we liked, right? Come on, his son's in the front row, come on. <laughs> no, but a pastor that we loved. 27 years. The only pastor that most of us ever knew here. And then we head into the season where things open back up and we find a new person and Dave and Dory come and it's really easy. It would be really easy for us to be uncertain and discontented. And I had somebody from another church ask me a couple weeks ago, they said, Justin, how did all that shake out so fast and so good? That's a good question. I said, Jesus? <laughs> I said, that's, that's the only answer I can think of, to be honest. I said, I said all I know is that we had a, a church full of people who in a season of chaos just said, all right, Jesus, you got this. 
We had a church full of people and a, and a room full of leaders and elders who daily got on their knees and looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you got this. And we had a church full of people who looked at each other and stepped in the gap and said, okay, I got you and you got me. Let's go. Only Jesus brings that, people. And I just want to remind us this morning as we get ready to head into a new season of ministry at Journey that we have a pastor whose life has had the opportunity to be discontented lately. <laughs> we have a pastor and a wife who left jobs that they loved, who left a home that they lived in and raised their kids in, who came to a new place with new people and new church and new family and new jobs and new homes. And it'd be really easy for Dave and Dory to be discontented. And so church, in the next few months, you know what we need to do? We need to come around them and say, we got you. We got you. We're in this together. And we will go where you go. And we don't know how all this shakes out either, but we're in. And we got you. To be honest with you, Journey, <laughs> there's not a single thing I've struggled with more in my life than being content in Jesus. I am the last person who should preach this sermon. Maybe that's why I'm not preaching after today. <laughs> I've spent my whole life trying to find the contentment that Paul talks about. And I'm just not very good at it. I live, I feel like, in a state of discontent, not because Jesus isn't good, but because I must not look at him enough. Some of us are old enough to remember when, like when you got married, you got the fine china, right? Like our, our, you have the fine china or your parents, my parents, have, my mom has fine china, I've heard, she's never let me use it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why, um, but that was the thing, right? Kerry uh, Newhoff tells a story about fine china. He says those days, he says, these days we kind of wonder why that was such a big deal because we never use it. He said, our kids don't see it as a, as a normal thing because it rarely ever comes out of the cabinet. He says, and when it does come out, the kids figure somebody special must be coming over and everyone's concerned about whether it breaks or not and we all tend to get really uptight when the china comes out of the cabinet. He says, consequently, our china set has missed a lot over the life of my family. He says, I missed all the conversations we've had over dinner. It missed the laughter, the wrestling after supper, some hilarious times with the four of us and with friends. It's missed all the practical jokes in our home. <clears throat> it's missed all the snacks during movies. It's missed the arguments, the tears, and the seemingly incurable hiccups. It's pretty much missed everything. He said, if you asked my kids if they wanted the china as an inheritance, they'd likely tell you no. <clears throat> he says it just isn't a part of anyone's life anymore. He says, now, we haven't thrown the china out because it costs a lot of money and we, it, we sense that it's valuable, so we keep it around. We just don't bring it out of the cabinet. It just doesn't see day-to-day -day life very often. Then he goes on to say this. He says, some of us grew up with a faith like that. Some of us still have a faith like that. Oh, God is very important, but he just doesn't come out much in the daily rhythm of life. 
As the band comes to lead us this morning, I'll be honest, Journey, I, I have experienced the contentment that Paul talks about very few times in my life. There are small windows and glimpses that I get. It's just not something I've owned. That's why I'm going on sabbatical in about 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm hoping in the next two months that God can show me the unforced rhythms of grace that he talks about. But I know that that contentment only comes because of Jesus. And so if I don't have it as much as I think I should, because Jesus gets put in the cabinet more than I, I, I think he does. The older I get and the longer I walk with him, the more I realize that Jesus has to be at the table all the time. He has to be set out so he can be involved in the daily rhythms of my life and yours. Or you and I will never experience the daily rhythms of unfor the unforced rhythm of grace. Contentment is found only in Jesus. So if you don't have it this morning, it's because we need a lot of Jesus. And we need a lot more than we got. So this morning... I want to invite you, if you do not know that Jesus, why not today? If he is not the Lord and Savior of your life, can I tell you, you will never have contentment until he is, in any sense of the word. This morning, maybe that's what you need to do, is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to come up here as we sing and say, I want to bury that old life of chaos in the waters of baptism, and I want to be raised to a new life of contentment that's found only in Jesus who conquered the grave. Jesus died so that you and I could live, and not just in heaven, but live right now. Why not today? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just like me, and that word sounds good, you just don't have it as much as you know you should. I don't know what to tell you other than it takes Jesus. And if I'm discontented, it must be because I don't have enough of him in my life. And can I suggest that maybe the same is true for you? So as we sing, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to pretend to know what you should do this morning. So if you want to stand, great. If you want to sit, great. If you want to come to the front and say, Justin, I want to get in that baptistry right now, great. If you want to kneel, if you want to sing, if you want to pray, you do you. I'm not going to pretend to tell you what you should do during this time. But I will wholeheartedly and confidently tell you, you just need to get to Jesus this morning. And he'll tell you what you need. We invite you as we sing into the unforced rhythm of grace that is found only in Jesus. It's a lot of Jesus this morning. It's a lot of Jesus we probably need.